0: This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.ReachingTheFinishLine.com And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome, and today I am delighted to have Marcin Kleczinski. Marcin is the founder and CEO of Malwarebytes. And um, for those of you who know Malwarebytes, uh, Malwarebytes is a software program that I'm quite sure at least 50% of the world uses uh, when they have problems on a computer. I, I know I definitely have problems. And uh, Malwarebytes is very effective in uh, optimizing the performance of your computer and kind of kind of knocking out and eliminating the bad stuff. But uh, I, am, I am delighted to have Marcin. Marcin, welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Great, great. Kind of give uh, the audience a brief summary on, you know, how you got started your entrepreneurial journey and leading up to uh, founding Malwarebytes.
1: Sure thing. So, I was actually 14 years old, this was 2003, and I would gotten my parents' computer um, infected. It was a shared computer. I downloaded it a pirated video game, and I swear, I, I've bought all software since this happened. But I downloaded a pirated video game, and all of a sudden, the computer started acting really funny. And I had an antivirus, and this was my first re- revelation in the security industry, where you know The antivirus was old and clunky, and it just didn't work anymore, and more so there was nothing out there to actually help me remove the, the, the infection I had my, on my computer. So I went online. I started you know doing what a sane person would do. I Googled the problem, and I found a nice little community of people that helped me re- resolve the problem. Uh, I stuck around and started learning how to program and built a, a removal product uh, for malware. So you just had to run it and, and remove the malware from your computer and then we built some protection as well. In 2008, we released the first version of our product, the flagship product called Malwarebytes Anti-Malware, and it was instantly a huge hit. Um, I went down to the University of Illinois, uh, pretty much ran this out of my dorm room for a while, and you know, it's been a really interesting ride ever since.
0: Interesting, so um, you know, I'm quite sure a lot of people are ignorant. They may say, well, malware, they're probably familiar with the word viruses, um, but maybe you could uh, quantify the difference between malware and a virus.
1: Sure. So viruses uh, are very old kind of technology. They're they're there to really just infect your computer. Malware is really trying to monetize, and and a lot of the times these words just blend together. Um, when you look at the technologies that are there to solve these problems, antivirus is the old clunky, um, nice little ha- you know baseline of security. Our anti-malware product, for example, is an advanced layer of protection. So we really try to think ahead of the criminals. We don't need to see the malware or the viruses like your antivirus does. We write predictive analysis um, on the endpoint. So basically, we're trying to think ahead of what the criminals might do. You know, in a, in a game that's a very cat and mouse game, uh, it's very, very tough to just be reactive. We want to be as proactive as possible. So the words really blend together. Um, we tend to focus on advanced threats and sophisticated threats and really try to think ahead of the criminals. The anti- antivirus vendors think of threats that they've seen and really focus on uh, on the threats that they've seen and, and aren't very predictive in, uh, of the future.
0: Interesting. So uh, you started malware bites in your dorm room. Let's talk about that. Uh, so uh, kind of where were you at with that? Um, I'm quite sure you probably were uh, you're a full time student and on the side, uh, maybe you was probably working like 30 or 40 hours. Let's talk about that college experience in your dorm room as you were building up malware. What was that like?
1: So 2008, I went down to the University of Illinois. This was after we released the first version of the product. Uh, We released the first version of the product in January. I was going down to school in August. Um, so we had some time. We've, we we'd already started making a little bit of money. So actually, Malwarebytes was able to put me through school. Um, I had a partner out here in San Jose, San Jose, California, where the company's based. And while I was attending the University of Illinois, he was really putting uh, some, some troops on the ground. Um, we had a lot of remote employees by then, but he was really building the office here in San Jose. Uh, so yeah, I was living in a dorm room. Then I moved into a, an apartment, and you know, it's a really wild experience trying to talk to press while you're in a dorm room and there's hooligans running outside, and you, you know, <laughs> you have to quiet them down. Uh, it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, sometimes I had to sacrifice uh, class for for an appointment with you know, or, or or we were working on some code that really needed to be pushed out. So balance. This is something I learned uh, at the University of Illinois while running the company, um, balancing my life between education and, and actually working and and my and my social life or lack thereof at the time.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of people can't say that uh, you know their business, you know their uh, their business was able to put them through college. So that's actually very great to hear that uh, you know you're you know. You're, you, you found success early with that business, and you was able to uh, use that to help you uh, go through college. Because unfortunately, uh, a lot of, a lot of students they uh, graduate with a lot, of, a lot of student loan debt. Um, you also stated that you have a partner, which 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 is very important. Or depending on how you want to structure your business, but uh, at least in your case, uh, it definitely made things easier uh, for you there. Now, um, let's. Let's go into uh, once you graduated uh, from college, University of Illinois, uh, where were you at then with malware bites? Uh, let, let's kind of talk about maybe any challenges uh, you faced too.
1: Yeah, I mean the the day I graduated we were, you know, we had a run rate of several million dollars. The the business had become very mature. Uh, during the University of Illinois I was traveling as much as I could to the Bay Area where our, our office was, but that's uh that's a tough place to get to. You're talking about two days. You know, I've had to go to professors and, and move exams just so I can get to the office. But once we graduated, it was very uh, eye opening. I, I was able to come to the office much more. I was able to interact with the employees. I, I think it actually moved us into a much better position. Challenges I had, um, one, one of them is, is definitely people. Um, when you're not really directly involved with, with hiring, you know, you, you start hiring bozos and I, I, I don't I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's just people that aren't really fit for, for the culture in your your company. You hire people with egos uh, unintentionally and that's not what you need as a startup. You need people that are willing to take an extra step and, and really do what's needed. So when I did move out here, you, you start identifying people that, you know, may just not be the right fit for the company and you start getting better at hiring as soon as you have that experience.
0: Yeah, So you, you did talk about uh, uh, in, in, in an article uh, that was featured uh, the importance of having the right employees You can talk about having people hiring bozos and egos. Now, <laughs> for you, did you did, did you outsource that? Did you have your own HR staff doing the hiring or did you outsource that and having people bring people in from a, like a staffing firm?
1: We we took that all in house. Unfortunately, what happens is once you hire enough people, uh, more people are involved in these these interviews. And if you hire a B player, then that B player then hires C players. Uh, and, And it becomes this... Endless chain. Today, I actually interview everybody that comes into the company. I'm not saying necessarily I'm an A player, but at least I get to hire people that I think will, will help contribute to the company, right? And I, I would hope I'm an A player, but um, you know that, that's something that's really important to me. One of one of my favorite sayings was actually um, somebody, my CFO actually told me this, and it and it's uh, his old CEO used to say. Uh, marry the believers, divorce the naysayers, and, and it's really just a reminder to, to bring the people on into the company that are supportive, that believe in the company, not just people that are looking for a, a regular old paycheck. That's the type of people that you need to get off the bus as quickly as possible.
0: Interesting. So let's, let's talk about uh, – kind of. so how big is malware? Is it, is it 25 people, 50 people? What's the size of the company?
1: Yeah, we've, we've ballooned uh, ever since I left college. We're about 250 people worldwide. Um, about 125 are here in San Jose. We have a nice little Clearwater office, Clearwater, Florida of about 50 people. And then the rest are really scattered across uh, the globe. We, we have people working from home and, and you know we, we try to hire the best. We don't really care where they are. Centrally located is great. But if, if I find a great threat researcher in Malaysia, which, which we have one, uh, I'm going to hire that person because I know that their track record is to be the best they can be. It doesn't matter where, where they are.
0: Interesting. You talk you talk about uh, previously about kind of what type of player uh, B player, A player, and uh, I would say you're definitely an A player. Any Any person that has a multi million dollar <laughs> business and able to have great success even before going to college. Because a lot of a lot of people who aspire to be entrepreneur now now they have a lot of these entrepreneurship degrees. What they'll do first, they'll go to college, and then after college, then they'll start their entrepreneurial venture. Uh, there's 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 not a lot of people who actually uh, you know. So oh, that's before- a.
1: Great point you bring up, um, and I actually I actually recommend this to all of my friends. Don't wait too long. If you're still in high school, you have you have crutches. You 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 have your family, you know that that you could rely on right now. You have maybe free free internet and el- electricity that your family's paying for. Same in college. If you're accumulating those those uh, those loans, you know don't don't be silly. Go to class and get a good degree. But you have. You have you have extra time, right? Get get going. Get started on, on your on your on your next next project. Start you know fiddling around with stuff. But also remember to have a social life because otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy.
0: Absolutely. Now, let's talk about that. Kind uh, of kind of kind of relating back to that. Um, now, was your college degree, Marson, related to kind of the whole web security, or was it completely different?
1: It was in computer science. Um, there, That was you know my passion. I started programming before I actually went, so I had a nice little baseline of knowledge when I got, got to the University of Illinois. There's, there weren't many classes on computer security. I think there were one or two, but by the time I was taking them, I, I had kind of become a self-described expert. Um, this is something that's really interesting because there's a huge labor shortage in cybersecurity professionals today. Several hundred thousand people are missing in the workforce that that need to be there, and it's very similar to the engineering shortage we, we went through several years ago. So, But I think universities are getting better around that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, it definitely helps for a university if they're going to offer an entrepreneurship degree to definitely uh, hire professors. Who actually has successful businesses, uh, rather than having professor who just can teach theory, because usually that's not that beneficial uh, exactly. for students. And uh, I agree with you. You know, people should start. You know, most, uh, especially when it comes to millennials, uh, a third of millennials uh, still remain living with their parents after they graduate. And really, uh, it to me, it's just wasting time because they graduate all the student loan debt. So back to what you're saying. Let's let's dig deeper further as far as kind of uh, what it t- what, you know kind of having a st- what startups overlook when expanding um, their business. Um, uh, another person uh, that we uh, feature in the article, uh, they talked about company culture. Uh, what is your company culture like, uh, Marcin? And how and, and you know uh, kind of what is your style and um, how is it important in your business?
1: I've seen too many uh, friends that are CEOs start to grow so big that they um, that they're too busy for their team, meaning all of their employees, because that's that's what the team is. My team isn't the direct reports that that I have. It's really the entire staff. The first thing I try to do every morning is really walk the floor and and, and, and talk to people. In fact, uh, in the new office that we're moving to, because we're running out of space here, we're, we're embracing something called an open floor format. And I know that's kind of a, a bad word here in Silicon Valley because um, people people can't concentrate if they're in, a, in an open floor plan. But what I really mean by that is we're not, we're not putting executive offices. Um, we're tearing down that barrier of, you know, me being able to talk to anybody in the office, and they they being able to talk to me, and I think that's an important um, uh, cultural aspect where the division between executives and 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 uh, just regular old employees is not that wide, you know, and and that's important because I, I treat everybody like I would treat you know any one of my direct reports. They're crucial to the business, um, and, and they need to be. You know, they might have the best ideas sometimes. So that that's something that's overlooked. Like. Your executives are not know-it-alls. You, know, you need to go back and feel the pulse of your employees who uh, come up with the best ideas. Our, our threat research is very, very innovative, and it's not because I have a VP of engineering that knows everything about, about malware. It's because we have threat researchers who, who come to us and say, I can't detect this because this is brand new, and I think I have an idea of how to do it. And we listen to those people. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is
0: the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com. PC's Magazine Best Web Hosting Service. That's very very important, and uh, I, th- I think a lot of entrepreneurs they kind of have this illusion that oh, company culture is not important. Uh, it maybe it's important once I get bigger, once I have like a hundred employees. But as you stated, uh, you know. Even if you have a few employees, let's say you have five or ten employees and you're starting up, uh, it's equally important because it uh, definitely uh, sets a foundation uh, for the direction of your company. It definitely kind of is almost like a mission statement as well as saying kind of what your company stands for and the organization of your company. So kind of have that company culture yeah. and how you uh, how you listen to your employees and how you treat yeah. your employees.
1: Uh, just just be- yeah sorry to interrupt just just because you you raised 5 million dollars from a top vc does not mean you're a hotshot ceo you know it just means you have an interesting idea don't forget the employees that got you there don't forget the people and that are you know sweating blood or sweating tear you know blood tears whatever sweating those are those are your biggest assets is, is the people the troops on the ground
0: I absolutely agree, and I think that's one of the main problems, Marcin. Is you know people they they, they get this they get a round of funding, a million, five million, ten million dollars, and and then they think they've made it. But really, that's only that's only step one, and there's many more steps to that uh, in order to be more, uh, successful. But absolutely,
1: now that just means those VCs own your fo- own your firm now. <laughs> You've to win it back.
0: Absolutely. So let's go on and talk about uh, especially when you uh started um now see uh, what entrepreneurs will usually try to do is they would try to do everything and sometimes they will neglect um hiring maybe the services of appropriate professionals like uh we talked to uh we talked to a lady uh from shark tank uh she she got this uh they funded her um Pr- Products called Zine Pack. Uh, but initially, what she was trying to do, she was trying to do everything herself. And one thing that she didn't know uh, much about that she tried to do herself was accounting. And that kind of backfired on her. Now, what about you? W- was you competent enough to do all of that yourself, like accounting and other things? Or did you hire like an accountant or CPA or some other professionals that kind of aid you as you build your business?
1: That's a great question. Um, don't don't let your ego get to you. You know, not everybody knows everything. In fact, nobody knows everything, right? And and ha- surrounding yourself with professionals—and I, I I don't like that word—maybe people that know a certain field better than you do is is, is definitely important. You as a CEO or as an entrepreneur, you're supposed to be bringing them together. That doesn't mean you're supposed to specialize in their field. Um, so so that's something that's definitely overlooked. People try to do it all, and then when they fail, you know, they've kind of made themselves fail. Failing is not bringing the people on early enough and admitting that you don't know. I would advise that you learn as much from these people as possible. You know, I, I, when I hired my CFO, I sat him down and said, "Teach me some basic finance," and that that took a lot of courage to say, "Hey, I don't really know anything about this. Can you teach me?" But in the end, we can speak the same language. You know, he is still the the, the expert on that, right? He still runs the books and everything. But but at least we can speak the same language, and and he has respect for me to to sit, me for me to sit down and not pretend like I know it all. Right,
0: that's a very good point. Uh, you. St- you spoke about earlier how you have fifty employees uh, at your office, but did I think you said the other two hundred is kind of scattered uh, across the world? Uh, so that kind of goes into internal communication. Uh, as we as you probably heard about Yahoo a few years ago, how the CEO kind of kind of uh, scrapped the whole work from home idea, and she wanted all of her employees to come into the office. How, since you have employees all across the world how do you manage that internal communication to keep them productive and effective
1: yeah so we actually have half, about half of the 250 in our office here so 125 people globally and, and 125 here in san jose and and you know it's difficult um i can see where she that thought came to her mind and, and she she thought it was it would be better for the business um Unfortunately, you know, a lot of our threat researchers uh, need to not unfortunately, but just because of the job nature, they need to be global. They need to be working across every time zone. Communication's tough. It's it's very difficult. You know, I I, I hold staff meetings every month. We 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 try to have managers um, hold one-on-ones and, and also staff meetings. Um, and we have a little bit of fun, right? We, we we do badass picture of the month, for example, at these staff meetings. So the culture resonates even if you're at home. Every year we do spend a lot of money um, having an all-team summit and, and this is important and, and hopefully we can keep this for a very long time. Uh, last year, or rather earlier this year, our all-team summit was in Las Vegas. Every single employee flew to Las Vegas for a three-day event of learning more about what the company you know, is doing this year and, and really starting to put names to faces where you go a whole year and you don't really you know, know anybody that just joined the company. So it's something I really want to keep going. It is an expensive process because you're flying people in from all over the globe. But in the end, I think everybody leaves uh, energized and, and really pushes through for at least the next couple of months. And being at home is very tough for these people.
0: It is. And I think uh, as an employer, by you kind of offering that kind of you know remote um – remote uh, job opportunities, uh, it definitely it definitely uh, allows flexibility and definitely allows people uh, to kind of be able to work when it's convenient for them. And I think uh, as the years go on, we're going to see more of uh, remote opportunities and uh, working virtually increase. And I think that's good. I think that's good for most people, being that a lot of people have families, uh, a lot of people have other responsibilities. And basically, that's going to make, uh, I feel, I feel uh, in the future, work more uh Manageable uh, in the end. Now, when it comes to uh, a contingency plan, uh, because a lot of startups uh, sometimes they will bootstrap <clears throat> because they can't get uh, uh, venture capital. They <clears throat> they can't get uh, you know other types of funding. So what they'll do is they'll bootstrap. But uh, sometimes uh, they will run. Sometimes you know one of their fears may be is uh, they're eventually going to run out of money. Um, do you have any advice? For creating a strong contingency plan to be able to, uh, uh, you know, help an entrepreneur optimize or make the most of their savings.
1: Yeah, and and we were bootstra- That's a great question. We were bootstrapped from day one. We only recently took money. Um, and we were profitable when we did. It was something that you know was an option for us, and we wanted to take the company to the next level. But for four or five years, we were completely bootstrapped, and and the the way we did that was to just not leave, not live within without. Um, we lived within our our means, right? So we didn't hire another person unless unless we thought it was fiscally responsible, and and we knew we could support it, and. Uh, so, so definitely you know building a business with keeping that in mind don't don't burn cash thinking oh there's another fundraising event that we can do if, if we need to definitely don't burn cash live within your means hire the people you need to hire people that um, that that will do a good job you know you can hire two engineers for uh, 70,000 apiece and they can do the work of, of just one engineer at a hundred thousand apiece don't don't hire cheap labor just because you think it's cheaper. If it if it's going to make you have to double your staff and pay more in the end anyway, hire the talent that you know that maybe you can pay a premium for, and and this person has proven themselves and proven themselves and 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 can actually deliver on you know what what you need. Yeah,
0: now let's talk about. Uh, I guess it kind of delves back into uh, company culture, but uh, I think really this more applies to employee retention. Now. Uh, when we look at the, the workforce, especially in the US, I think it's shifting. And where uh, a lot of employers are trying to uh, provide more incentives to increase employee retention. Like For example, uh, uh, there are several companies that are offering what they call unlimited PTO, unlimited paid time off. Uh, and uh, sometimes they will offer like uh, memberships or health plans or flexible, those type of uh, benefits. Uh, or free massages, a way to uh, make uh, their employees uh, feel like feel like they care. You know, show a sense of uh, care and compassion. Um, wh- what about malware Bites? You know, what what are some incentives that you are using, uh, Marcin, to be able to uh, increase uh, employee
1: retention? I think all of those incentives that you listed are nice to have. I-, I think if you build a good culture where it really does feel like you care about your employees and it's not a massage that's going to change the way, you know, an employee feels, right? <laughs> if you really build a culture where employees are heard and, and feel like they're a part of the company, you'll have a good retention rate. So, so we have a really low churn rate, meaning not many people leave our organization. I think we pay pretty well. Um, you know, people people feel adequately paid, and that's a that's definitely a step forward. You know, we do we do have open time off, but um, people don't abuse it. We we could very well get off with PT uh, just paid time off. We have open time off, meaning you can take as many days as you want per year. And in the end, people don't abuse it because they know they have they have a job to get done. They're excited to come to work. I think having an open culture, like you know, direct access to me if they ever feel like they need it, and, and I'm really okay with people walking in my office every day and saying this is broken. We need to talk about it. You know, that that's something that I think is acceptable, and and I've made that clear to the, to the team. Same as the other executives, we're we're all part of this battle. It's not like we are, you know, disconnected. And I think that's what really causes. A lot of large companies to have a high churn rate because people don't feel heard. They, they're not able to take it to an executive um, if they think it's a, an important matter. And I think really that's in the end the most important.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, it appears that you are you have excelled at and continue to excel at is leadership. Now, what would be some good nuggets of wisdom that you will impart to our audience about how they can be good leaders, especially when they're starting up. Because when they're starting up with like two, three, four, five people, I think leadership is, uh, is, is uh, even more important because uh, usually, sadly, most startups, they fail within three years. So perhaps you could share some uh, nuggets of wisdom about leadership.
1: Um, yeah, if, if sacrifices need to be made, uh, you better be the first one taking that sacrifice. For example, Uh, We ran out of parking spaces at the office here, and we need to park several streets down. I was the first to take a parking spot there. You know, that that's the way it should be. You know, I, I am not. Consider yourself the least important person in in the organization. All, all your job in the organization is as a leader is to lead people, not to whip them into a, a, a specific direction. And 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 that's very important. That is the the basics of leadership. If, if sacrifices need to be made, you are the first one to be affected by that.
0: Absolutely. So uh, essentially. Uh Uh, Your employees are definitely more important than you are, despite you being the the, uh, owner of the business. That's that's, that's, that's great. That's paramount. So, um, Marcin, uh, uh, coming to our final thoughts, um, what would be some imparting advice that you would give to uh, an aspiring entrepreneur or a struggling entrepreneur uh, to be able to help them uh, either start on the right foot or to be able to kind of turn your business around, what will be some, what will be some advice you would part one
1: to know? I think it's really surround yourself with people that actually care for the business. You know, through the toughest times, these are the people that will bring you the brightest ideas. These are the people that will, you know, um, if you if you're running out of cash, these are the people that are going to take a pay cut with you because they think that they, you know, that the business is going to succeed. Surround yourself with people that are. Um, a players, I, I've said that before, you know, the believers, I've said that before, it's really the most important thing. I mean, they're gonna give you a completely different perspective if you know if, if things are really as bad as you think they are, they'll they'll confirm that for you and help you work through the solution. Um, doing this alone is is the worst thing you can do. Um, and, and you know that's that's why I had partners, that's why I surround myself with, with mentors that, you know, even for free they help me work, work through an issue and surround yourself with people that, that actually care.
0: I, I, I like your, your alphabet, the A players and the B players' belief. Maybe C, I guess you call those guys couch kickers. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Great. Uh, Morrison, if people want to uh, get in contact with you, if they want to follow you, how would they be able to do that?
1: Sure. Actually, you can. If you ever need any advice, you can email me at marson@klitczynski.com. At you can find me on Twitter as well. It's at and uh, I look forward to, to speaking with all of you. Great, Marson. Thank you for being our guest. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, author of the Amazon and Kobo best-selling book, Reaching the Finish Line. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and pick up their free report. Save up to 75% what
1: they don't want you to know. reachingthefinishline.com